0: This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Welcome to a Turn on the Jets digital special presentation. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And we are going to continue our series going in-depth with New York Daily News beat reporter and columnist Manish Mehta. Last week in part two, we left off talking about the controversial tweet Manish put out about Muhammad Wilkerson and his drinking. And as we jump back into this, Manish, that wasn't the first time that you had had something to say about Muhammad Wilkerson. There was a column that you had written based on a visit that he had to Temple in which a source had told you that Mo was looking fat. And that, of course, prompted a little back and forth between you and Brian Costello of the New York Post. I know that there was some sniping with you and Rich Semini as well, who you had talked about earlier, who is the beat reporter for ESPN New York now, but who had your position before you had it, as you mentioned. Do you think that there's a natural animosity between reporters on the beat? In terms of you're all competitors, but that it kind of gets turned up a notch because of your strong personality, like you said. Because I know that you had said something along the lines of Rich simini 's just mad because he's an old man getting his butt kicked. And I know that Brian Costello also had said the big thing with you is that if somebody doesn't talk to you or isn't nice to you in the locker room, you take shots. So what do you think about the perception that you're at odds with the rest of the beat? Do you think it's an extension of that part of your personality? And also, how do you respond to the people that say that you have these agendas against people that aren't nice to you, and that's why you went after, say, somebody like Muhammad Wilkerson? Uh,
1: Well, I don't, did I ever say that Rich was uh, an old man getting his, his, his tired of getting his butt kicked? I mean, I, mean, man, I may have. Yeah, I have no idea. Did.
0: Yeah, you did. <laughs> All
1: right. If you, if you have that verified, I'll... I'll, I'll say, look, I got to be honest with you. It kind of sounds like something I would say privately. <laughs> I don't
0: know if I said that publicly. You may have deleted uh, the tweet, but you definitely said it. Okay. Uh, what, I, what,
1: what I will say, uh, what I do remember about Rich, and this is what rubbed me the wrong way, and look, he's not a pers- I, I Rich is actually a nice guy. Sure. anyone talks to Rich, he, Rich is a nice guy. Mm-hmm. We are very competitive. We are extremely competitive. Mm-hmm. And as far as Brian goes... Uh, Look, Brian's in a precarious position, and I don't want to speak on Brian's behalf, but I can just speak from my vantage point. Uh, the Daily News uh, doesn't acknowledge the post, and vice versa. That's a, I think that's a Daily News Post thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so, for example, if uh, you know if I break a story, uh, Brian typically will say uh, he will not acknowledge where he where he, who he's confirming. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas if uh, if if Rich broke a story, he he'll acknowledge you know ESPN New York. Uh, and vice versa. The same thing with me. I'm not tipping. I mean, I've done it from time to time. But, uh, but by and large, uh, I'm not going to say, you know, a source confirms the New York Post story. I mean, I'm, you know, that's just kind of like a, to be honest with you, I don't even know if it's an unwritten rule or a written rule. I, I guess at this point it's probably unwritten. I just kind of know that that's, that's been the way that it's been since I got to the daily news. Uh, and I understand that. I mean, the, the, you know, those are... Uh, I guess those that's that's the uh, those are the rules, right? New York Post versus New York Daily News, <laughs> yeah, sure. whatever. whatever. Uh, I mean, it's fine. I, I actually worked at the New York Post for one year uh, for their weekly magazine that uh, lasted uh, exactly one year before they folded. But uh, I guess that's a that's a unfortunate that they folded. But uh, I uh, yeah, we're we're all competitive. I mean, we're we absolutely competitive. I mean, it's not like we don't talk to each other. Uh, I have a healthy respect for. I mean, you you mentioned Brian and and Rich. I got a healthy respect for both of those guys. Now, are we competitive? Yes. I mean, are there times where we're each pissed at each other? Uh, yeah. I'm, I don't think I'm speaking out of turn. I, I don't want to get into specifics because it's, it's not my place to say that, but uh, it, I don't even think it's believable to think that we, you know, we loved each other like every moment of every day for the last <laughs> decade. That's obviously not the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I am blunt and, you know, as I, I said during the podcast here, I, I I do have a strong personality. Uh, does that rub some people the wrong way? Perhaps. Again, I don't want to speak on someone else's behalf. Uh, but what I can tell you is that I have a lot of respect for those guys. They work hard. Uh, they do good work. Uh, does it irk me? You know, if they have a story that I wish I would have had. Absolutely. I, I think that's natural. I mean, if you're competitive by nature, you're going to feel that way. If you if you if you're not competitive, or if you don't care about your job, you're probably not going to feel that way. And I think. I'm not speaking out of line here, but I think that Rich and Brian care about their jobs. You know, I, I think they they put a lot of time and a lot of effort. Uh, and you know, if it didn't bother them, that would surprise me. I mean, yeah, I, I, again, I don't want to speak on their behalf, but I have a lot of respect for those guys. Do I get ticked off from time to time? Yeah, I mean, I, I do get I, I do get ticked off, and they get ticked off at me, and I'm sure it's warranted. It's not like I, I don't want to paint this picture that. Uh, I'm right, and they're wrong. That's not true. There's, 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 you know, there's shades of gray. I mean, are there are times that I'm rightfully pissed at them. Yes. Are there times that they're rightfully pissed at me? Yes. I mean, that's just that's life. That's reality, and especially in a competitive environment. So, uh, I mean, that's just the nature. I guess that's the nature of uh, uh, the cost of doing business when you have people who are a good at their jobs and b care about their jobs. So. Uh, I, I don't take it personally. Uh, you know, you'd have to ask them uh, how they feel about it. But from my vantage point, to be honest with you, this isn't something that I haven't shared with them over, over the years. Which is that, yeah, sometimes I get pissed at them, and sometimes they get pissed at me, and I'm okay with it. Uh, I mean, we're all grown men, right? We're we're big boys. Uh, but it uh, you know, makes makes for an interesting dynamic. I know there's this weird uh, appeal among Jet fans on Twitter, at least. I, I, don't, you know, I don't know outside of the Twitter world, but. At least among Jet fans on Twitter, this weird uh, fascination with the reporters on the Jet beat. Yeah, it's I, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I, you know, I was a fan growing up. There was no Twitter, so maybe, maybe I don't know how I would react. I would tend to think that if I was a fan of the team, I really wouldn't care about the dynamics of the beat reporters. That seems a little weird to me. <laughs> you know, I, I don't quite understand. I mean, it's, it's not like we, we we go to work and like we we want to you know, kick each other's butt, I, you know, physically kick each other's. But I mean, I don't. I've never sensed that. I just sensed that there are people, and it's not just those two guys. I don't want to say. It's, I mean, there's more than three people on the beat, right? There's other people on the beat as well. But uh, I think there's a lot of competitive people who care about their jobs, and there's a lot of people who do really good work, and that's why I don't think it's a mistake that uh, the the best beat reporters, at least in the NFL, are for my money, are in two places: Philadelphia and New York. To me, they, those are. When you talk about the best of the best in in the NFL media world, uh, you know take take out the national reporters, but just from uh, a local standpoint, I think that based on you know my exposure to NFL beat writers, I think the two best beat writers uh, in the NFL are in New York and and the guys that cover the Eagles in Philly.
0: This is the Overtime Podcast Network. What about Brian's accusation? And this is something that obviously other people have brought up that you are particularly hostile to guys that aren't nice to you or that don't give you the time of day. And so that's why you go after somebody like, say, Muhammad Wilkerson or Darrell Rivas at the time and guys like Geno Smith. And we're going to get into that later. But what do you say to that when Brian Costello comes out and says something like that?
1: Yeah, you'll have to ask Brian what his motivation was for for saying that. What I can tell you is that I've written glowing stories (laughs) over 10 years uh, about guys who don't particularly have a good relationship with me, and uh, there are some good guys that I have great relationships with that I don't really write that much about because they're not really good players or they're not exceptional players. Uh, I I disagree. Uh, I'm going to try to say this in a professional way. Uh, I wholeheartedly disagree with the notion that what I write is shaped by uh, how uh, a player treats me uh, the only thing that I ask for is treat me with professionalism because I will treat you with professionalism. You don't have to like me. You don't uh, have to hate me. I, I don't care. Just treat me like a professional because when I walk into that locker room, just like when Brian Costello, Rich Lamini, everybody else who covers the team, when they walk into that locker room, it is a work environment. Now is it more casual than uh, you know a typical office? Yeah, of course it's more casual. You know, half the time in the summertime, you know, we got shorts on and. These guys are walking around, you know, they got their workout gear on, they're coming out of the shower. So, yeah, it's a, it's a more casual environment, but it's still a work environment. So I've always asked everybody I interact with in that building, uh, from downstairs all the way up to upstairs, just treat me with professionalism. Uh, I treat you with professionalism and respect in, in, in that sense, and I would just hope for the same thing in return. Does that always happen? No. Uh, but there are guys, and I don't want to get into names because I don't, think that's particularly fair mm-hmm. but there are guys <laughs> that that hated me that i i wrote you know glowing things about because they were freaking good players and they were doing great things on sunday so i i you know i i do take umbrage to the notion that uh i was critical of mo wilkerson because he was not nice to me i think mo wilkerson's actions speak for themselves. Uh, I I did not cut Mo Wilkerson, or I did not leave Mo Wilkerson in New Jersey instead of taking him down with the rest of the team to New Orleans. Uh, I'm not the one who benched Mo Wilkerson for a quarter. I'm not the one who fined Mo Wilkerson. There are people who are employed by the Jets who did that. His actions speak for themselves. All I did was hold Mo Wilkerson accountable for his actions, and that has nothing to do with whether he's nice to me or not nice to me.
0: This is the Overtime Podcast Network. What about Geno Smith? I'm going to read something that you wrote about him just after he left the Jets, and this was at the point in time when he was in consideration for the backup job with the Giants, which he eventually did sign on for. Here's what you wrote. Geno Smith should invest in a Gore-Tex coat, pack a scarf, and take his talents north of the border to revive a career. Teetering on irrelevance here. The wayward free agent quarterback's best opportunity to prove he can actually become the player he sees in the mirror lies in Canada, not the NFL. Okay, fair enough. But then we get into the part where you say... Smith's weekend meeting with the Giants breast prompted hearty chuckle across the league NFL teams are yearning to win the Geno Sweepstakes as much as they're yearning to win A couple bucks in a scratch off lotto Ticket he might be the least equipped Person to play in New York an immature Insecure guy filled with Self-delusion litany of missteps On and off the field the past four years Has been chronicled and then You talk about how New York is No place for a flawed thin skinned quarterback No major market makes sense For him can you see where some somebody- Somebody would read that and say, okay, those first two paragraphs, fair enough. But when you're getting into these very personal, borderline insults, that people might sit here and say, I don't know, I think he's got a little something against Geno Smith. Well, I'll
1: say this. Geno Smith, I don't know about Geno Smith in June of 2019, but Geno Smith, at the time that I wrote the story, A, was immature, B, was delusional, and C, was thin-skinned. Those are all realities of Geno Smith's. Makeup the, everything that I wrote, and I could have gotten into details and backed it up, but I did not back it up because I thought that what I had written was more than enough. There's no reason to go even in more, more in depth about Geno Smith and his interactions with his teammates and his coaches uh, at the time that he was with the with the uh, with the Jets. So, uh, yeah, was he immature? Yes. Was he delusional? Yes. And was he thin-skinned? Absolutely. Those are all truth about geno smith at the time this is the overtime podcast network
0: you could see where with such strong language somebody might read that and say wow that's some powerful stuff what's he talking about and then like you said you're not really going into details about what it was that informed that opinion you could see where somebody would look at that and say well he's calling him immature thin skin and all these names What's happening here, especially since Geno was no longer with the Jets? It almost seems like you're kicking dirt on the guy, doesn't it?
1: Well, look, I do cover the NFL in addition to the Jets, and he was obviously a prominent player, a starting quarterback for the Jets. So the fact that he Mm -hmm. wasn't technically on the Jets, uh, that doesn't really matter to me. It doesn't really matter to my bosses because I think I'm well within my job responsibilities to to write that if if I want. In terms of the strong language... In terms of how people interpret it, again, I can't. Uh, I just I can't get into concerning myself with how will fifty thousand people who are reading this—I don't even know what the number is—but whatever. How how could how will all the readers interpret what I'm writing? I, I can't concern myself with that. The only thing I can concern myself with, and the only thing that I believe that I need to be responsible for, is: Are the words I'm writing accurate? Is what I'm saying true? Yes, to this. You know, For this example, yes, everything I wrote was true and it was accurate. Now, can people perceive it in, in a way that seems uh, like I'm being overly harsh? Yes, uh, sure, they can interpret it that way. But again, the way I described him was the way he actually was when he was with the Jets.
0: This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Now let's talk a little bit about Doug Marone. My
1: favorite topic. He buried the lead, <laughs> Doug Marone. That he's going to follow me for the next 50 years.
0: <laughs> well, the reason I want to bring it up is not because I want to yell and scream at you like somebody like Joe Beningo, and not because I want to call you names or anything. I legitimately wanted to talk to you about this because it just seemed like such a strange series of articles. There were a couple of them. And they all took this very negative tilt on Doug Marone. And don't get me wrong, he had plenty of critics. And it's well known, in fact, after he left, and you chronicled this as well, a lot of the players in Buffalo felt very hurt. And you had sources in Buffalo that said he wasn't entirely popular there. However, it is kind of strange to me. That you wrote these series of articles and there wasn't anything positive about Doug Marone in there other than a passing reference to a couple of Jets offensive linemen seemed to like him. But other than that, there was all negative stuff. and. He's a guy that had plenty of allies and friends around the league. He was well-respected. You had Sean Payton said glowing things about him with the Saints. Obviously, Bill Parcells is somebody that he was on his coaching staff, and Parcells has said nice things about him. And let me just be clear about this, too. I did not want Doug Marone here for a lot of the reasons that you even mentioned in your article. I thought that he was a relic. I didn't really care for his conservative style. I didn't think he was the right guy for the job. But can you see how somebody would read these articles and it would come off almost as, okay, Manish has an axe to grind here. He he clearly doesn't want this guy to get the job because... If you're trying to be somewhat balanced, there would be more positive coverage in there, right? It's not like Doug Marone was 1-50 in as a head coach. He had delivered the first winning record Buffalo had had in 10 years. He had helped turn that Syracuse program around. Now, don't get me wrong. Syracuse didn't turn into some national power, but we both know that they were in really bad shape when Marone came in there. And when he left, he had brought them at least back to somewhat respectability. So you could see why somebody would read those articles and say, geez, what is going on? here this guy clearly is against doug marone there's nothing positive here these are not balanced articles you can understand why somebody would think that right so
1: here's the uh, genesis of the doug marone story and I, I, I don't even know i i probably said this at the time uh what are we talking we're talking 2015 right mm-hmm. uh so doug marone uh opts out of his contract he gets four million dollars mm-hmm. he opts out of his contract after he had told his team and this is on video in the in the locker room after their last game in which they beat the patriots you mentioned that they finished over 500 for the first time in a long time mm-hmm. they beat the patriots i believe that brady played a quarter uh Gronk didn't play it was the essentially the, the patriots jv team regardless they won the game mm-hmm. so after that game in the locker room uh the menace, i mean the uh, the buffalo i guess in-house media had a clip about Marone talking about family and sticking together, and this, the irony of him leaving uh, maybe what a week later. I don't, I don't remember what the time frame exactly was. Was 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 kind of funny to me. But uh, the reason that that uh, I started exploring and, and looking into Doug Marone was this: he opted out the contract, uh, gets four million dollars, and I chronicled this in the story that I wrote at the time. I just I don't remember the exact amount of time that passed, I want to say it was like ten minutes. it might have been like fifteen mm-hmm. minutes i can 't remember, but from the moment that the story broke that he was opting out of the bill's uh, contract to the moment he became the quote unquote favorite to land the jets job was I want to say it was like ten or fifteen minutes or maybe twenty minutes. It was so outrageous uh, it kind of goes back to what we said in the be- what I said in the beginning about uh, Christopher Johnson telling people that firing Mike McKagan had nothing to do with Adam Gase, when, when any logical person would be like, well, that's not true. Clearly, it had to do with Adam Gase. It's kind of like 10 minutes, 20 minutes, whatever it was, that short amount of time after Doug Marone opted out, how in the world did he become the favorite in the jet job? How is that even possible? Did he interview with Woody Johnson in those 10 minutes? Uh, or was there something going on that, was maybe, you know, a, a little shady. So I looked into it. I, you know, I happen to know people in Buffalo. I looked into it uh, and I said, hey, you know what? Let me find out what these people think. Now, clearly the players are going to be upset, right? The players, and, and that came out, uh, you know, over the next 24, 48 hours. They were not happy with how we handled situ- the situation. But I talked to other people, not the players, but other people in, in addition to the players, but just to get a general sense of what Doug Marone's like. Is Doug Marone a, you know, is he, is he a motivator? Is he a good coach? Uh, I, I didn't know Doug Marone. I had no history with Doug Marone. I knew nothing, you know, about Doug Marone personally. I, I knew nothing. I went in thinking, let's find out about this guy. And the barrage of critical statements and thoughts of, about this guy, and I didn't even include all the, all the stories that I got. And I, I did this really quickly. I want to say I turned this around pretty quickly mm-hmm. within a, a couple of days. Uh, I mean, obviously, with the benefit of more time, a week, two weeks, three weeks, whatever, you know, you talk to more people. Uh, but again, you know, this is a timely situation where a guy, you know, voluntarily vacates a head coaching job in the NFL, which rarely happens, to becoming the, the, the leading candidate of another one, another uh, opening within 10 minutes. Highly unusual. So I looked into it. And, uh, I just got this deluge of stories about how he didn't treat people well in the organization, how he was always, you know, a sour puss. Uh, I'm going off of memory here, but, uh, just kind of how he had this dour outlook. Uh, you know, you mentioned the football stuff about being conservative, and, and that's all accurate as well. But, uh, that's a, the, 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 the picture I painted was the picture that, that people gave me. If people had told me, hey, you know what, he's misunderstood, he's a great coach, and here's why that's what I would have written. I didn't get that from people in Buffalo. And to me, that was the important story, what happened in Buffalo. Not that uh people liked him uh, 5 years earlier when he left the Saints or or 13 years or 15 years earlier when he was uh, a position coach for the Jets. People change over time. Uh especially when you go from position coach to a uh, college head coach to ultimately NFL head coach, you know, people get more power, uh they get more autonomy. They change, and I've seen that during the course of my career with coaches, you know, guys, you know, they, for whatever reason, you know, they they get a little bit of success, they get a little bit of power, control. They change. So, all of the good things that uh, people may have said about Doug Marone in two thousand and three, when he was the Jets offensive line coach, were probably true. I, I didn't frankly care about two thousand and three. I cared mm-hmm. about two thousand and fifteen, and what just happened with the team that he was employed by. That was the focus and the genesis of the story, and I thought I captured the feeling uh, in that organization about this particular coach pretty well.
0: Uh, No question. There were plenty of negative things being said about Doug Marone and plenty to criticize. I'm just saying that you could see my frustration here, right, because I've said this to you both on Twitter and I'll say it to you now, I think I've said it to you in actual conversation, but I think for whatever anybody wants to say about you, you're a very talented reporter. There's no question about it. I mean, you look at some of the scoops that you've broken, and I've said this to friends of mine that are on the beat. I think that you are the very best on the beat at breaking news, and the John Morton story is an example. You had that. Nobody else did. The Quincy and Numa contract extension. We could go through a bunch of this. But as far as something like Doug Marone, I understand that that was what was going on at the time in Buffalo, but it just strikes me as with all these people like Sean Payton coming out and saying that Dennis Allen and Doug Marone had a huge hand in helping to turn around the New Orleans Saints. That's a very well-respected guy, obviously, and Sean Payton, Bill Parcells saying great things about him. I'm sure he had his supporters in Buffalo. I'm not saying that there weren't more detractors and supporters. I'm just saying... As a Jets fan, what we're looking for as a overview of who the candidates are and who the next coach is going to be is a balanced look. And even if there's far more negative than positive, fine. But it just felt like there was absolutely zero positive in these articles. It seems like there's an agenda here. You understand where I'm coming from? Yeah, I
1: also w- w- would say this. If Del Barone were hired then you have the benefit of time, right? Mm -hmm. We're talking about a small window here. He was interviewing, I I don't know if he interviewed the day, I can't remember if it was the day that my story ran or the day before the day after. It was somewhere in that general time period. So as a reporter, you try to get as much information as quickly as you possibly can to write a focused story on a particular topic, which is what I did. If he had gotten the job, I would have had more opportunity and more time to talk to Sean Payton, to talk to Bill Parcells, to talk to all these other people that he has... uh, Come across in his career, and uh, I would have written whatever whatever they told me well whatever whatever their perception was, but uh, you do have to be real not you but i 'm saying readers do have to be realistic, mm. given the time constraints, you can only do so much and again i I dug into what I thought was the most relevant piece of information at the time, which was what happened with the team he had just coached uh, you know again, if he had gotten the job, you would have explored all these other places that he had touched. There's only so much you can do in a compressed amount of time. And, you know, I have an editor that says, hey, look, this is what we're, this is uh, what we want, this is what we think would be appealing, which is go ahead and find out what happened in Buffalo. You know, like I I said, if he did become the Jet head coach, there would be much more time to explore what happened Mm -hmm. at Cortland when he started his coaching career back in the 90s. You know, there's a lot of avenues and and storylines that you can explore after the guy gets hired, but in the moment, the thing that was most curious and the thing that I think that was the the storyline in the NFL at that moment was, well, what happened in Buffalo? Mm-hmm. <laughs> How? I mean, why would the guy leave? Like, what what was happening in Buffalo? That's so. That was my, my my motivation for that story. I know what you're saying. I understand and respect what you're saying, but again, you do have to be realistic. Given the time constraints in that time frame, you got to pick. You know, what you want to focus on, I want to focus on what happened
0: in Buffalo. Oh, no, I totally understand that because when Adam Gase got hired here and I was doing shows about the candidates before they got hired, I did a show on Adam Gase and we talked about his time in Miami and there was a ton of negative stuff that came up. And then obviously later on, as we got to learn more, we heard some positive things from his time in Chicago and his time in Denver. So I completely understand what you're talking about, about being under a time crunch. It's just that when you combine the fact that those series of articles seem to imply also that there was some sort of shady maneuvering going on by the consultants as well. There, wasn't no, there was. There p- was. <laughs> no, well, okay. So, talk there to me about was. that then. Okay. Tell me a little bit about that.
1: It's pretty apparent, right? At this point, uh, I think it's pretty apparent what what happened. Uh, even when you look at because it was a dual search, right? Mm-hmm. So, Casterly and to a lesser degree, Ron Wolf, but you know, Cashley was running the run the show, uh, and, and like I said to you uh, earlier, uh, Mike McCagnin, uh, extremely ethical, above-board guy, Mike McCagnan got the job because Charlie Cashley was a consultant. If Charlie Cashley was not the consultant, Mike McCagnin not only would not have gotten the job, in all likelihood he would not have gotten interviewed. He had never been interviewed for a GM position in his career. He'd been in the NFL for what, uh, 20, 25 plus years. Uh, mm-hmm. that's not to say that he didn't deserve an interview. It's just the, the, the reality is that he had not gotten an interview. The reason he got in front of Woody Johnson was because of his relationship with Charlie Casually. And I understand that that happens. I mean, that's, that's how it works, right? It's not what you know with who you know. That's kind of the, how it works in life. Uh, not just, uh, you know, in NFL circles, but, uh, I'll say this, if the Jets did not have Charlie Casterly as their consultant, if they had a different consultant or if they didn't have any consultant at all, uh, they had a search firm, uh, you know, an official search firm, I think it's fairly safe to say that Mike McCagnon would not have been the general manager. So, uh, in terms of, you know, what happened behind the scenes, pretty obvious that Charlie Cashley had conversations with, uh, Jimmy Sexton who represented Doug Marone, uh, who also, uh, actually represents Adam Gase. Who actually also represents Sam Darnold, and who, <laughs> and who represents Joe Douglas? So mm-hmm. uh, clearly a powerful, influential uh, agent—you uh, know, highly respected guy—as uh, well. Uh, I think it's pretty obvious that Charlie Castley had conversations with uh, Jimmy Sexton uh, to give him uh, a pretty good indication that uh, you know Doug Morone would uh, have a, a solid chance, if not a, a pretty darn good chance, of being the next head coach.
0: And to your credit, you did actually mention within that article, Mike McKagnon's name is somebody that you expected Casserly to bring up as a candidate. And obviously we know that that ended up happening and he knew him from his time in Houston and it's been known that Casterly was kind of a mentor to him. And so that was something where you could sort of see the tea leaves of Casterly putting his fingerprints on here. So I suppose that that's certainly possible. It just felt like to me that it was very one-sided. And so it felt like there was agenda in play. And I got to bring up one last thing before we move off the Marone subject to something else, because it's been something that people have wanted to know about. There was obviously the perception, and I'm sure you're aware of this, that Marone is fairly close with one of the other beat writers. I'm not going to say who. You can figure it out. If you Google it, you'll see there were websites reporting on this. And so the prevailing thought was, if Marone got the job, this particular beat writer would have all this access, and you would be locked out, and that was why you didn't want Marone in there. So you're saying there's absolutely no truth to that? No,
1: that's not true. I don't... uh Care about prior relationships Todd Bowles had uh it's funny how no one talks about this. I know what you're talking about, but uh, Todd Bowles had prior relationships with uh with other people who cover the team. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually do think after I wrote my story, there was an avalanche of uh, of that angle that came out after the story was written mm-hmm. uh, and then it turns out that Doug Demarone had relationships with not just the one particular person that you were talking about he had a relationship with someone else. The extent of the relationship I don't know uh I wrote the story. The motivation for writing the story was exactly what I just told you, which is mm-hmm. something clearly did not seem right based on the fact that the guy became the Jets front runner 10, 10 15 minutes after he bowed out of the, the Bills, the Bills, uh, the Bills job. Uh, the one thing that I think, I'm, well, maybe, maybe I shouldn't take it for granted. The one thing I think people should realize by now is that I don't shy away from any kind of competition and I also realize that all coaches uh whether you know, all coaches and general managers, have prior relationships with people in the media. You're not going to find someone who lived in a vacuum or a bubble who does not talk to other reporters or have a long-standing relationship with one person or two people or whoever. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, it happened with Todd Bowles. Todd right. Bowles had prior relationships. Adam Gase has prior relationships. That happens. These guys have been around the NFL. Unless you're hiring someone uh, who's never had any contact with Ah, uh, people who cover the NFL, that's not realistic. It's silly. It's in fact, it's sour grapes, but and that's probably a separate podcast. but uh, but, what I will say is that the motivation for what i wrote what why I wrote the story, is that it clearly looked like something shady was happening behind the scenes. And, you know, in reality, something shady was happening behind it.
0: And just to be clear, I'm not accusing you of that. I just wanted to... No, no, no. That, you,
1: you, yeah. you mentioned that it was out there. It, mm-hmm. it, 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 it was out there in full force after I wrote the story. Mm-hmm. And I did, not, I did not know the extent of uh, Doug Marone's relationships until after the story was written. What I did know is that Jimmy Sexton has a lot, and I knew this before, I mean, I've covered the league for a long time, so I know this, Jimmy Sexton has a lot of relationships with national reporters. So, you know, when when, when certain things co- come out there, it, it raises a red flag and puts your antenna up, like, hey, you know, something, something interesting might be happening behind the scenes. That I knew about before I wrote the story, 100%. But the extent of any personal relationships or professional relationships with people that covered the team became abundantly clear after I wrote the story.
0: That's going to wrap things up for part three of our in-depth discussion with New York Daily News beat reporter, and columnist Manish Mehta. We'll have the fourth and final part of the series for you next week. Until then, don't forget to leave a five-star review for the podcast on iTunes. It doesn't cost you any money. It doesn't take you much time, but it really helps a lot. So we greatly appreciate it. Follow me on Twitter, at PlayLikeAJet1. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. It's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.